0: Welcome to Season 5 on The Sofa with Victoria, where household names and rising stars will be discussing the latest trends and themes in crime fiction. I'm Victoria Selman, best-selling author of the Zebra Mackenzie series, Truly Darkly Deeply, and my latest thriller, All the Little Liars, a true crime-inspired story of toxic friendship that asks, How far would you go? to belong. It was a case that shocked the nation, rocked
1: our town to its roots, put it on the map for all the wrong reasons. As the details emerged, strangers hashed over the particulars waiting in line at supermarkets and Starbucks, shook their heads at the horror of it all, at the terrible tragedy. On each of their faces, the same expressions of slack-jawed disbelief and perhaps a certain ghoulish delight too. How could such a thing happen? They asked. Here in our neighborhood, a neighborhood like this.
0: Today I'm on the sofa with best-selling authors Shari Lapena and Jack Jordan. To discuss how crime fiction writers can keep their readers guessing. We'll be looking at the art of smoking mirrors and playing fair, discussing the appeal of a great twist and how to build and maintain suspense. So, a nice light episode then.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Giving away all our trade secrets.
0: Yes, well, absolutely. Uh, Welcome, guys. Thank you so much for joining me on the sofa.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Now, I've been really looking forward to it.
0: I've been looking forward to having you. It's lovely to have you with me. Shari, the strap line of uh, your novel, Someone We Know, is we are all hiding something, which I love. And I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, that could be applied to crime writers too, of course, couldn't it? This idea that as an author, we're always keeping something up our sleeves. Mm-hmm. Is that fair, do you think?
1: Yeah, everyone's got a little something up their sleeve, but crime writers have the most of all. Yes. Um, I mean, their characters do. Um, I it, it, the whole art of suspense is really is what you hold back and when you release and how yes. you release it. We yes. all know that it's all about secrets and lies and questions that have to be answered. And you yep. cannot answer the questions. What you have to do is add another question
2: and yes. then another
1: question. So there, yes. there's so many little questions along the way, and there's always the big question. And yes. usually those questions are those good opportunities for twists, like when you come to a, an answer to a question it's not going to be the answer you're expecting and then you're yes. veering off in some other directions so and it's always
0: disappointing I, I isn't it long. when it what is the answer you're expecting if you've actually as the reader you've guessed where the writer was going there's that little bit of yeah
1: I yeah. a, a wanted to give
0: it you don't you don't want them
1: guessing so you have to set uh, it up in such a way that it's believable but you, you, you sort of I always say it's like when you come to the twist, the answer, the twist, or the twist, you say, "I didn't see that coming," and I can't believe I didn't see that coming at yes. the same time.
0: Yes, yeah. I always say there has to be the "oh" moments. It has to be. Yeah. It and, oh no! Why didn't I get that? Yes, yeah. and you have to feel that little bit stupid, don't you? And then, then you know yeah. the readers, the writers really yeah. got you. Um, but there are rules, aren't there? I did um, an interesting um, event the other day with uh, Mark Billingham and Abir Mukherjee at the British Library, and Abir was talking about the. Um, Ronald Knox's Ten, uh, Ten Commandments for Detective Fiction. Do you guys come across those? you know those, Jack?
2: I haven't. Oh, are you no. on the
0: spot and see which <laughs> ones you can come up with? I these, these <laughs> they're, they're they're kind of dated, I think, some of them. Well, okay, let's let's see if you think let's they're all. Go... I've, I've written a few down here. Tell me if you, because they are dated. They're obviously very much of their time. I mean, there's one about, so like, you shouldn't bring a Chinaman into your novel so clearly that's that's not <laughs> yeah. where we're going in modern crime fiction yeah that was dated yeah <laughs> yeah very outdated and slightly racist possibly one could say as well but um but these ones i thought i don't know i think if you um excuse words like hitherto and thou and thus um see what you see what you think so this one is no hitherto undiscovered potions may be used nor any appliance which will lead need a long scientific exclamation i can't speak Explanation at the end. What do you think of that one?
2: I agree with that because when I think of um, things that c- kill off another character, the uh, most iconic ones are often the most basic. Yes. Uh, so the, when I think of a murder weapon, the one that immediately comes to mind is Basic Instinct with the ice pick. It's yes. just it's iconic. It's simple, yeah. and it's something that's going to be in your house. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think I think the simpler the better. Um, yeah. Yeah, and close round. So the person has to grab it. <laughs>
0: yes yes exactly how <laughs> about you good sherry ice pick. i love I love a good, good ice pick, pick. <laughs> um, um so
1: fun. Potions. <laughs> yeah so yeah i don't i don't think too elaborate uh, um unless it's integral to the plot and as you set it all up and everything um yes. yeah you don't want to like have a great ending and then have a long explanation of of how it how Yes, it a
0: long lecture at the end now then class, yeah. gather no. around <laughs> let me tell you what's actually happened. <laughs> but the idea of playing fair isn't it that we sort of alluded to at the beginning this idea of uh, no undiscovered potions so the reader has to have seen whatever is whether it's murder weapon or bad guy or the motive it has to be there but again thinking about things up our sleeves we've got to make the reader turn the other way and not really notice do you agree with that
2: Totally. I get it. I'm, so I'm thinking of films rather than books, which is really naughty. I should be talking about it. It's books
0: not here. naughty. I love to use films as jump off points. And we learn so much from film, don't we?
2: Totally. And so I'm thinking of Mean Girls. I mean, it's been out for a very long time now. So I'm not going to be giving a spoiler away. But with the iconic scene at the end with the bus and Regina George, that could be seen as something that is uh, potentially an undiscovered potion. However, in the beginning of the film, when she, Caddy is approaching the school, the bus, we see the bus behind her. So we yes. know that that that, wrote, that 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 could happen. So it sets it up in such a minute way that we don't know it's there. So I think yes. what I like as a writer is I've got to show that this uh, potion or weapon or whatever we're um, using for here in the beginning, but I don't want them to pick up on it until the yes. end. And then they yes. remember. And, and, then, I like they remember, and then it makes sense. Yes. My husband
0: calls it scattering breadcrumbs. Like lead like the breadcrumbs to the witch's house, so you've you've just like they're speckled around, but you've not really noticed them amongst the, the soil, maybe.
2: Yeah, um, it, it lets you have a shock. It lets you have that shock factor, but then it's justified. I think, yes. yeah, you can't have a shock factor without that justification. Otherwise, they might feel robbed.
0: Yes. Someone was saying to me, I can't. Maybe an Ellie Griffiths. I can't remember, so
2: apologies
0: if she's listening. and I misquoted her, but she was saying prologues are wonderful because you can hide. Breadcrumbs or the bus or whatever it is in in the prologue because readers, you're still feeling your way into the water at that point of the story, aren't you? And so you're not you're not so honed to all the little details. And she said putting a few little things in there is is quite a good way to to get it in the book, but then also to get it in the book subtly, which I quite like. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. You have to sort of spread those breadcrumbs around and also mislead. Yes, um, as much as you can. Yes. That without being ridiculous, right? It has to all be organic. But um,
0: yeah, you, you don't want them figuring it out. No. But by the same token, I don't know if you guys find this, but there are some books I read where there's whole tranches, I mean, you realize later, of completely unnecessary information, completely unnecessary dialogue that you're following and you're plowing through because, you know, you assume it's part of the story and it's not. And I guess that's that's obviously there to obfuscate. But to my mind, also just—I mean—I find it quite annoying. I don't know about you. It's—I think everything needs oh. to be necessary, and yet it doesn't. Just, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I—I I don't think I've come
0: across that that I can remember.
1: You read better you know, books than me. <laughs> my editors are really hard on me. Everything has to be yes, absolutely necessary. Yes, for something. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I um, so with with my books, I so with Juno harm and conviction, they've been very research based, and yeah. so I've had to learn a lot. And but yeah. then for me as the writer, I've had to learn what to share and what not to share, and uh, how yeah. to explain it but not over-explain it. And I think there's there's kind of an art to that, to share yeah. as much as you need to without yeah. making the reader feel um, foolish because you have to explain it because yes. I had to I had to learn, otherwise I wouldn't know a thing. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think there's a lot, there's lots of ways we have to step around it, but I think it's definitely an art to what to share and what not to share to not bog down and always like you say distract in the wrong way you don't want yes. to distract someone to boredom you want to distract them through a, a subplot <laughs> but needs to be fair that
0: whole idea of play but I love what you say I mean I call it the kitchen sink effect you know like the way you, when you go into an exam I don't know if you guys used to do this but I've would revised and revised and I'd be just wanting to show the examiner I know this and I know that and just shoving it all into my essay even if it wasn't relevant and I was taught <laughs> No, that's probably going to actually lose you marks in the end. In the same way, I think it loses readers. So, I mean, Jack, obviously, you know, the medical side is really interesting for you. But for me, of course, you know, serial killers, criminal psychology, all of that fascinates me. But for me, it's the other way. It's not so much um, I'm worried about making my reader feel foolish so much as I don't want to lecture them. And if I tell them too much, it is that kitchen sink effect, that temptation to I know
2: it's I want to tell you. You just have to avoid that, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think the more I think the more you do it, you end up learning the way that what your route is to mm-hmm. research and explaining, and it becomes second nature, which I really like. And it yes. kind of ties back to those red herrings and those um, leaving the breadcrumbs, because what I love is when I stumble across a breadcrumb that I didn't even realize I'd laid. That's yes. my favorite. Yes, yeah. something I've created, and then when you go back, you think, oh, hang on a minute, I could use this, or why didn't you pick that yes. up, or, why don't we? That so I, I I that tends to feel like a good gut instinct breadcrumb mm. because yes. it's got me and it's got me yes. get the reader.
0: Yeah. Do you have that as well, Sherry? I do. Like that's your
1: subconscious working. Yes. You know, like it, you, I, I, I find this all the time because I don't plan at all. Okay. So I'll be going along and, and something will happen, and it's only later that I realize, oh, I set that up in four different ways yes. to get this to this point here, and I was completely unaware of it. Yes. Um, and it's. the wonder- so yeah, I love that.
0: I love it too. I I think it was Will Dean, he said that the first draft is where you tell yourself a story. And it's that idea, isn't it? Because we do have two parts of our brains, the one that's tapping away and then the other one that's sort of thinking hard as we're going and noticing Uh things. Yeah, I love that too. Um, So, okay, back to uh, Ronald Knox. Here's another of his little rules. Um, The detective must not light on any clues which are not instantly produced for the inspection of the reader. What do you think of that, Sherry? So even makes sense Ooh, to you, I'm I don't not know. sure how much sense it makes to me, I have to say. So that's, that's a detective
1: thing. All right, that's more of a detective puzzle thing where you have to play fair and give every clue. Yeah. I don't think with my suspense novels I have to do that. Yeah, that's tricky. I don't even really have clues so much to solving a no. they're no. more like
0: um. you, with yours, it? there's sort of things you need to pick up on. I mean, I was thinking that one for one Your your most recent book, um, you know, Set in That Beautiful House. Remind me of the name? Like we said, I'm rubbish with titles. Um, oh, Not a Happy Family? Yes, which I yes. loved. Um, and it's, you know, the answers are all there. So in a way, you're a sort of detective as a reader, aren't you? You're piecing, you're, you're maybe yeah. not piecing a puzzle together in the traditional way, but you're still piecing yeah, all the information together. is All the information is there, but it's not yeah. so much like there's
1: a clue. It might be something yeah. in their personality or the way yes. they looked at someone, yes. or the way they, something I love to do, which is giving away one of my trade secrets, <laughs> um, one of my favorite trade secrets, is, um, what, you know, I do a lot of multiple perspectives. So when I'm in someone's head, I know what they're thinking. Yeah. If I want to mislead, I use dialogue. And the, yes. the reader yes. who's reading quickly will go, oh, well, he wasn't there, or, or whatever he says. But this is just what he's saying. This isn't yes. what is in his, in his head. Yes. So I do that
0: fine you're that's very clever I was um I have a what I call a bottom drawer manuscript we all have one don't we um and I was playing with this and it was very difficult to write because it was in the first person and yet exactly as you were saying the huge what would have been the huge reveal had to be kept from the reader otherwise it wouldn't the book would work and I really struggled with how to tell the story I mean it was I loved the story but it was the telling of the story that I found so difficult Mm -hmm. for exactly that reason
1: yeah the dialogue was great yeah if if you hold it back in their head and have them say something in dialogue, the reader will take it as, yes, um, as
0: gospel, and yes. they really shouldn't because he's talking to someone else in line, right? But that's so, very clever. So it's almost more mis- misleading than if you were just. So doing don't tell anyone, and then we put it all on
1: on you know. <laughs> yes, we'll edit this
0: my, little bit out. <laughs> yes, yeah, one of my favorite trade secrets. Yeah. No, it's it's very clever. Um, okay, this is also, of course, because this is a command for detective fiction, but here's the last one I just rather liked. And there are 10, but I've just picked three of my favourites, uh, partly because of the phraseology of this one. I just thought it was fun. The stupid friend of the detective, the Watson. The sidekick. <laughs> the sidekick, yeah. <laughs> I love how he calls him the stupid friend. Must not conceal any thoughts that pass through his mind. Um, so I guess from your from what you've just said, you're not concealing thoughts. You're just, again, you're obfuscating, you're, you're changing it. Um, and then it says, uh, like this bit, "His intelligence must be slightly, but very slightly, below that of the average reader." And I wondered if that's about—I love it; it's great, isn't it? But I wondered if that also about readers. We want to be fooled. We want to—we want to um, not see the twist coming, but realize, of course, that was the right twist. And yet, we don't want to feel completely stupid, do we? Either there's that balance. No, is that
1: the role of the stupid sidekick? Because I think, I think I don't have those. I don't have detectives no. with sidekicks. None kick, of us write
0: but, like that, do we? That's no, not no, all.
1: no. Um, but but he's supposed to to not conceal any of his thoughts. Is that what the that's role?
0: That's what is? it says. Yeah. Which I don't agree. That's rubbish. With. I agree. I, I don't, agree. I don't think that's that right. At all. Jet, when, what about when,
2: you. So when he when they when he says um, about the stupid friend, I wonder, and I took it to mean. Um, that it's kind of, it gives a lightness to the story a comedic effect or that that, mm. that that whole person who hasn't had that i think with with detectives and with main characters they're obviously they're usually uh dark souls and gone through hell so we yes. need someone to lighten it up a bit so i wonder yes. if that's the character that the readers endear themselves to while they're following the journey of the emotional turmoil of the main character that's um, interesting yeah and then when we were talking about um a must not conceal and with the second with the second one um I immediately thought the unreliable narrator, and again, I think so. We, I think there has to. It can be an element of concealing, but it's kind of like the breadcrumb scenario. We have to not show it beforehand, but then once the twist is revealed that the character might be unreliable, then if the reader looks back, they can see where they might have missed it. So it's it's a way of not actually concealing it totally, but enough that they won't see it on the first go. And I I think that it's a balancing act for sure. Like Engleby, did you read Engleby, The Sebastian Fox? No, I haven't yet.
0: Have you not? Oh, you guys are in for a treat. This is, oh, it's a work of such absolute genius. It's not crime fiction, actually. Um, it's it's just utterly, utterly brilliant in terms of an unreliable narrator. And that's not spoiling yeah. it to tell you, because I think as writers, you will just appreciate it almost in the craft as much as anything else. It is mm. exactly what you say. He does it so brilliantly. You see one side and you're seeing it from his perspective. So you assume that it's his viewpoint therefore it must be fact just poses what we all do and then he doesn't flip to another viewpoint which is what makes it so clever it's still within the same character and yet you see it from a different uh, you know from a different perspective
1: oh that's I brilliant. love unreliable narrators i just love them that's yeah. why this you know having a sidekick where you no know, thought is concealed i'm like no, no. i mean yes. everybody should have something concealed it's more yes. fun that way yeah yeah um, absolutely. I, I can see it I depending on the book of course I could see a role for that but unreliable yeah. narrators to me are absolutely fascinating there's so because there's so
0: many ways to be unreliable. unreliable right as well like when we talk to each other we're always reading between the lines well <laughs> maybe it's just me and I'm a not very trusting you know, person everyone's we like do. That. we do read between the lines don't we yeah. and we you know we're taught you know when we study history is it a reliable source what is what mm-hmm. is really you know constantly so it's real to have an unreliable narrator. Nowadays, to be to to, to have an unreliable narrator, you have to be so clever
1: because you can't yes. do the, you know, amnesia. You can't do the drug no. or the drug or the hit over the head and everything's fuzzy or whatever. Yes, you have to be so clever. You have to have someone who's you know lying to themselves or yes. um, you know there's yeah it's it's tricky now. It's, it's tricky tr- yeah oh, because the readers are all expecting the narrator to be unreliable.
2: Totally. I think one, for those listening and for you two, if you haven't read it, although I'm sure you have. I think the best um, example of this is Shutter Island by um, Dennis Le Payne. It uh, it's phenomenal. I mean, the film is phenomenal, but the book is phenomenal. I still
0: haven't read it, but I've heard really I good things.
2: Read it phenomenal and I think it is just that it's just you don't you it's it's so well concealed that you you don't know where it's going to go until you understand or you're allowed to understand you're shown the light and then it all makes sense and I think yeah it gives you that eureka moment as a reader.
0: Eureka moments, and that's exactly what it is, isn't it? That's what we're playing for. And this whole thing, like, I, I don't know about you, but I get really frustrated with this constant marketing of every book is, you know, has a twist you'll never see coming. Oh God, you've now told oh, no. me to watch out for it, and I probably will guess it, and now you've ruined it. But <laughs> like, you know, with them, um, what was that movie? Yeah, uh, Fifth Set, uh, uh, Sixth Sense, uh, the one with what's it? Willis, yes. um, Bruce Willis. I didn't see that one. Is Have that you maybe? not seen it? Oh, no, I Sherry. saw the movie, but I didn't see the twist
2: coming. No, I didn't No, either. no, nobody
0: does. But that's yeah. because we weren't told there was a massive twist. Yeah. Had we been yeah, told, I know. Stop we would have been the on the twist. lookout. Because yeah. actually, when you look again, it's, you kick yourselves. How did I not realize that? It's so, it seems with hindsight, so incredibly obvious. And I did a panel is. recently on, are
1: are we overdoing the twists? And I said, yeah. yes. I think we are. <laughs> I, think <laughs> we I think we are. Yeah.
2: And again Sorry on the market, that's okay. And then on the marketing, I think you're so right because with sixth sense, we didn't see it coming because M Night Shyamalan wasn't. Uh, that helped him become the household name, but now mm. he's marketed as the man who does the twists. So, like, I mean, with the Village, that has a phenomenal twist that I didn't see coming. Mm. Um, and then, but now he now he's marketed as the twist guy. You're waiting to find out you're how he's going to do the it.
0: Twist. And if the twist falls flat. You don't like it. Yeah. Whereas actually yeah. the twist should almost just be the added spice, I think, rather than everything is building towards this moment. Totally. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think it's a marketing thing. I think that it's been
1: overdone as a marketing mm. thing. People yep. are reading for the twist. They're, they're missing stuff because they're looking for the twist. Um, and then, you know, a lot of – there's a lot of really good crime fiction, and of course I can't think of one right now, but where they – in the old days, they would just tell a story really well, like a straight-ahead story, a straight-ahead crime story, and it could be brilliant. Yes, but there's no twist. But it's still brilliant. It's still um, brilliant, and, and we've a, lost that. This... Yeah, I've, I can't think of a single example because lately everything is everything has to be twist, 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 twist. twist. Yes. Um, but you don't have
0: to have a twist to have a really brilliant story. Edgar Allan Poe is that is that an example? I wonder. I mean, it's just it's ex- an extraordinary story. It's not a twist. It's just hugely psychological. It's brilliant, as you say. It's, yeah. yeah. I mean, there there are there are there are a lot. Um, and just I think I think of it. <laughs> I know it's, it's very hard <laughs> it, to be put on the spot. But I think as well as writers, it's not just readers that may get missing. But I think as writers, we're being told you need to have. And yeah. so we are, we are crafting that for that reason and we're losing sight of something as well. And it's why, again, I, I, we obviously now won't name names, but there are, there are a number of books I've read recently where you can tell the author was like, well, hell, I have to have a twist. Okay, this one will work. And it's, yeah. I was, my, my metaphor is, do you remember those cartoons where you have a, a plank of wood so hammered on onto mm-hmm. the shed? They feel like that, they're hammered on. And yeah, it works, it's filling in the hole. But it doesn't work because as you say, Jack, it doesn't have that eureka moment. That sense, Sherry, that you are talking about, yes, that absolutely makes sense to me.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's, you've got to have that, that it's almost physiological satisfaction when you reach that point. I was just talking to um David Headley on the Goldsworth oh, Podcast yesterday. Yes. Okay. Um, and we were talking about that fizzy feeling you get when yeah. you with a book you love so when I think of yeah. books I love I think of Fingersmith by Sarah Waters I think of oh that was great oh I loved it and I think and I just and then I, I mean the way that she does deception um as a storyteller is just phenomenal tricks me every time um and then yeah and I think it has to have yeah. so yeah if you're going to do a twist I think the writer has to believe in it wholeheartedly yeah. otherwise the reader isn't going to get that feeling when they reach it themselves
1: I think that's right interesting and it- about Fingersmith, is the twist was in the middle, yes, or early on, and there wasn't really a big twist at the end. But that's fine; it yeah. doesn't wreck
0: the book. It doesn't yeah. have to be at the end. Yeah, no, you know, no, it uh, doesn't. It was... I mean, look at Gone Girl, of course. You know, yeah. I mean, what a brilliant. Except it's funny, isn't it? I was talking to somebody the other day. I mean, everyone loved Gone Girl. It was so formative, wasn't it, for crime fiction, where it was, you know, m- moving on to. And yet, I wonder if we were to read it now in the context of everything that has come since. If we would enjoy it quite so much, I mean, was it was it so special because it was groundbreaking? And yet the twists have been so overused, so overdone that we've almost used our twists up, you could say.
2: Yeah, no, that's yeah. a really interesting thought. I think uh, that's mm. definitely a fear of mine that uh, w- mm. we're using it all up. Because I mean, obviously, there's millions of books come out every year. Mm. Um, so it's it's. I mean, I think the fear for every writer is, "Am I original?" Which I don't think is important. Yeah. I don't think it's possible. I think we've just got to be uniquely, uh, individual, um, in yes. the way we tell a story. Um, yeah. but then also, yeah, have we used everything up? But I think so. It's actually, I mean, because there's that saying, isn't there? That I think there's eleven plots, and Agatha Christie's done them all. Yeah. and so it's just about she like yeah yeah she, she really did take them all didn't she yeah no, so selfish and I think it's so it's it's I think it's impossible to be wholly original with twists or with storylines mm. or with plots but mm. it's how we as writers put our own individual personal take on something and make it our own and I Absolutely. think but, but we do make it more difficult for ourselves because we know every most of our readers know what the yeah they know what so we're having to try and conceal them with things that they yes. might already know so and it, there it are so harder. so many
0: rules with it I mean so often when I'm reading a book and I mean really it works every single time I'm thinking oh I wonder what's going to happen and I allow myself to wonder that like, okay fine so basically what's going to happen is the bad guy is the person <laughs> the narrator <laughs> trust the most all right and hey you know what nine times out of ten I'm right yeah. and it's just sort of, okay here we go again
2: <laughs> totally and it's and, and then it, it's it's such hard work for us writers to try and stop that from happening isn't it yes. it's I think when I'm thinking of these things when I when I allow myself to think about oh god what's the, what's the reader going to think at this point yes. um I try not to do that in the first draft because I'll just scare myself silly but huh. particularly in the editing stage I try and I think about all the scenarios that the reader might be thinking and try yes. and write out of them but yeah it yes. becomes very complicated
0: you know, you're absolutely right. I remember with Truly Darkly Deeply, I had I set up a scenario where, in theory, this it was the answer was either Road A or Road B. It was you know a pretty linear sort of question: Is this guy really a serial killer or isn't he? And clearly, I couldn't have that as the answer. If it were either A or B as the answer, the reader would throw the book at the wall. I mean, you know, you you're getting them to trust you with your time. You have to come up with that third way, and it has to be the third way
2: that. You know, doesn't. I love that the third. I love that. I'm going to think of it like that now. There's path A, path or the third way. Or that the third that. way.
0: There you it's go. it <laughs>
2: here. Yeah, it's yeah. trying to find that other way round. That then. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to remember that.
0: Is that not how you think of it, though? I just assume that it that's
2: is. But the are. way you said it, the way you said it, is just imprinted. So, oh, yeah, yes. I'm think,
0: yeah. But it is. But it is. And I watched. I watched a movie, and I forget what it was. It was. We, my husband and I watched it and we were loving it it was one of those you know six part episodes you you give your time and this is what I always think actually for readers they are giving me their time when they're sitting down with mm. the book and I have to I have to um, keep my contract with them I have to fulfill a promise that their time has been well spent anyway mm. so Tim and I we sat down and we watched this six part episode this six part series and it was brilliant and it was like I said it was road a or road b and we were guessing I know what could and we were both coming up with other options and you know really really good really really engaging and guess what when it came to it at the end yeah they landed on road A and Tim was like what a bloody waste of time <laughs> <laughs> actually I
1: don't think I actually analyze when I'm reading a book for pleasure I just get not? swept up and go along I don't I love it when I am it's rare that that can happen anymore. yeah I'm not an analytical reader and and um, I find that people say, oh, you know, I, I would have to read a book twice to be on a little about it.
0: Okay. Usually That's I'm just
1: reading for story. I love story. And you know, I,
0: the only way I can read just for story and just for pleasure is if when I read out of genre, because I think otherwise there's always an element okay. of homework about what I'm reading in crime, because you're inevitably comparing with what you're doing, which is why I find it so hard to read when I'm first drafting. Because it's the moment where you're feeling most insecure about what you're writing and something everyone else is. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I feel most insecure
1: going. when I'm editing. I absolutely. You? Oh, I love my first draft. And
0: Do then... you? <laughs> I hate when them. I... For me, it's just oh. get it down, get it on the page, and then I can, you know, chisel it into shape. Oh. Same. So
1: i love that. it and then i hate it more and more and more and by the end i totally hate my book oh my god by Every the time. end when you've gone
0: through however many rounds of structural and copy edits yeah i never read my finished product i mean i know oh, no the god cover when it comes through the door and i smile and i say isn't that lovely and then i pop it up on the shelf and i never <laughs> open it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: it's almost like ptsd if you're asked to read from your book
0: no Yes. I <laughs> read this again. did i actually write that on my God. <laughs>
2: well, the worst feeling is when you go a few books back and you think, "Oh, I've got so much better." Oh my God, I hope they don't read that one. Yes! <laughs> <The> Do word... <laughs> you have that as well? That's so... oh, totally.
0: Because people always say, "Oh, you know, you know," when you take off, you're backless. sound. because <laughs> <laughs> we are learning, aren't we? And hopefully, we get better. Which is my whole thing with a shiny new debut. I think surely it's not the debuts we should focus on; it's the established writers who are just improving by the minute. Great. I think there's, it's, it's a, there's
1: another thing in the industry besides wanting the same thing. Um, and it's like putting a lot of money and pressure on debuts. That, that's not the way to bring a writer along because if they don't earn out it's a ton of pressure. If they don't earn out, they're done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they give them so much money sometimes that it's impossible to earn out. And yeah. so, and, and they don't want to support, I mean, this yeah. is my 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 publisher's been great with me, but often they don't want to bring a writer along through several books to build yeah. a following. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was very lucky because my my first book did very well. Yes. So I've been okay. But you know, sometimes a writer takes two or three or four books to get yes. the readership. But it's hard now. They don't want to put the time in. They're not building. They're, brands, are focusing they- the same way. Yeah. Yeah. They're not building brands the same way. And I like I said I I can't fault my publishers for this, but. Um, I think the focus is on the debuts, for sure. I think so. Um, but then the
0: flip side of that, of course, is when a debut does really, really well. And then the whole second book syndrome.
1: I mean, you know, I don't, yes. I mean, there's a reason. And it the I, debut yeah. frenzy. Yes. Because, you know, people want to find the next big thing. And yes. then you're right. It puts tremendous pressure on the second book.
0: Yeah. It's so much about society I mean, as well. This idea that we're, we're always wanting something shiny and new and we can never stick with any. Sorry, my personal book there. You can never stick with anything. <laughs> Give it time. Give it time to grow old. <laughs>
2: we are <all> right. <laughs> I will say, so I think, I mean, the our industry is totally, you're totally right. It's so dominated by the debut, the debut. But mm. I, I I, love being able to tell my story because i kind of, I, I'm an exception to the rule. And I think there are, yeah. are a lot more than we think about. So Do no Harm wasn't my debut. It was my sixth book, published yes. book. But, um, was it? I thought that was your debut. Yeah. And not many people knew. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, i done, yeah. So that was my sixth book. So and I was it, like, it oh, is it your sixth thriller? Yeah. So yeah under my name and everything. So yeah it's just, I've had a very long road of um really big ups, um very big downs and yeah. now I've found and, and I found a publisher Simon Schuster who are amazing mm. who are, have kind of treated me like a debut despite um a roller coaster of a backlist and sales track record and amazing things and not so amazing books and yeah. all these things. Mm. I think so there are I think it's because my fear was, oh, it's over now. The track record, is done, it's done. Yes, that so is like, the
0: feeling, isn't it? If you yeah, if you yeah. mess up, you, that's yeah. it.
2: But there are definitely publishers out there and teams out there. I think so. When I re- I reached that point in my career, I thought this. But I can't. I ne- I can't give publishers a reason to say no. So that I really worked on the business side of my book and the pitch, and I thought I need to give them a product and a book that they have to have, despite anything they might have turned their nose at before. And I so I think with the right book and the right outlook, yeah. I think you can definitely break that. And um, the right publisher, the belief. And the, if you don't have publisher backing, forget about it. So Jack, that's interesting. So did
0: you move to Simon yeah. and Schuster with Do No Harm?
2: Yes. Like, so yeah. So I and oh. I originally um I self-published my first two because I was impatient. Um so you okay. talked about the um the bottom drawer book. I had four yeah. of them in there. Yeah. Um yeah. and then with my um debut anything for how I self-published that and my second book and sold really well okay. um so then I got an agent and a, a traditional publisher through that okay. and I did three books with that one um but then that was kind of I'd seen how it just didn't work. I good sales at first second book not so good and yeah. then it was kind of back to square one after 10 years I was back to square one um and that's when I thought right well I'm not going to go down down um or, you know I'll go down kicking and fighting if I have to go down at all but I'm going to get good back for up you the I love big. that
0: yeah, yeah. yeah and you, you didn't change your name did you so you kept all of that as well you kept your brand
2: yeah and I don't you know, I think I, I again goes back to that and it, yeah and like you say it keeps your backlist valuable because you've got mm. that right there waiting mm. um but also so I again it kind of goes back to going out with the right book at the yeah. right time so yes. I I knew that do you know how going to be very difficult for people to say no to so because yes. some, I was lucky I was able to uh have, cause I, I, I parted ways with my publisher and my agent at the time. So oh, okay. I really was starting from square one. Um, and I, uh, Again, when I went out with Juno Harm, I was lucky. I had a choice of agents. I had about six. I was um, who were interested. So, which as well as a sign that this was a good yeah. product. Yeah, but then it was that. So some said, "Oh, we should change your name," and I said, "That's not what I want to do. I know it's a risk, but that's not what I want to do because I think." So I think with the right book and the right outlook, and you've got your goal in mind and what you want, I think there's always exceptions to the rule. And kind of like plot with what we were talking about, yes. there's always a way Ooh. to break the rules.
0: I love that, Jack, and absolutely. Innocent.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a debut, to No Harm. I mean, that was just the impression I got. So oh, go was, you. I think it well was done. treated
0: almost like that, like you were saying there, wasn't it? I remember when the yeah. marketing stuff came through my door about it and all the stuff that we saw. Um, yeah. But it is, and I think what it shows as well, I think it's, it's a brilliant title. I really like it. Um, but, but that also shows, you know, the importance of all those things too. And I love the way you're looking at what you call the overall package. That it's not just even the mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. Is, I mean, for example, Yellow Face is of course so big at the moment. Yeah. Before I even knew what that book was about, anything about the author and the fact that she'd published whatever before, I saw just one tweet. And it wasn't even saying it was good, it was just saying I've received this proof. And I looked at it, I thought that book is gonna break, is gonna be massive. Why? Because the cover was sensational mm. and the title was so unique. And I could just you could just tell, couldn't you? And I think so much of that goes into into our books. We forget it's- it sometimes.
2: Totally. I mean, I know we always say don't judge a book by its cover, but don't we all? <laughs> of
0: course we do. And isn't that the point of a cover, by the way? Yeah. You know, you're on a table with however many others. And if not on table, on a shelf, how do you stand out? How do you make sure you're, it's not, you're not having them all telling the story as people are standing there. They've got a, it's a strap line, It's the, yeah. Mostly, yeah, I a mean, copy on that book. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, and, with,
2: and with supermarkets, they will say, we can't take that book because we've already got three blue ones. You know, that's how, we, that <laughs> so, is how
0: they see it. That is yeah. exactly what they see because they're not. Really? Yeah. yeah. I do not know a that. a product and how it looks on a shelf. So we have to think of that, too. Huh.
2: Yeah. But I, I mean, Shari, you'll be absolutely fine. I think with established names, you're going to go on the shelf. I think with, um, yes. so with uh, debuts and things, if there's uh, colors of too many of the same on the same cover, they might yeah. put a different book in that slot instead of theirs. So, yeah, it's really, yeah, the market is fascinating, but I, I, oh. I like telling that little story because that helps, I think, give peace of mind to people that might not have had the 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 linear journey. I think yes. it's okay to ha- go at, d- at different routes and still It's very that. interesting, Jack. Your, your yeah.
1: story is very sort of encouraging to a lot of writers, I think, because I yeah. think a, a lot of them feel if they don't break out on that first book or two, they're are they're, they're done. They're done.
0: I yeah. have many friends who've changed their names many times for that very reason. You think if your sales track record is not good, then you will not get picked by whichever retailers for the next one. Yeah. But and then the how one... do you build a brand if you keep changing your name each time? You can't, but this is the point. One. This is, I think, yeah. why Jack was so clever. So actually, yeah. what you're saying is you don't change your brand. You just make your brand better.
1: Yeah. You should do seminars, Jack. Thank you. You should I, do I, I, TED
0: talks.
2: <laughs> you're the sofa
0: for TED talks. That's what we should do.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, do this whole thing. I'm putting it in a speech. No, no. <laughs> you know what?
0: I normally end the episodes, as you know, with Desert Island Not Discs. But if you don't mind, I'm going to end it here today because I think it's such an up. Don't you think it's such an uplifting message? Yeah. I think we want to settle on that. So the idea okay. of never giving up and and you can just keep going and you have. Yeah. It's brilliant. You just have to rethink it a bit. You just have to rethink and be brave. I think yep. as well.
1: And I think the writer has to think outside the box as you did, because I think the publishers yeah. don't think outside the box necessarily. Yeah. Yes.
0: So I think it's up to the creative writer to do what you did. Basically. Yeah. Be a marketeer yeah. as well as a writer. No, it's a fantastic story. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. It's been the biggest pleasure to have you on. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Nice meeting you, Jack. Uh, so lovely to meet you. And nice to meet you again, Victoria. Lovely to see you and enjoy your trip to Scotland. I hope it goes well. Oh, <laughs> I will. <laughs> Take care. Bye bye. 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 You've been listening to On the Sofa with Victoria on Crime Time FM. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, rate and review on iTunes and join in the chat on Twitter using the hashtag on the sofa with Victoria or drop me a line at Victoria Selman. I'd love to hear from you and hope you'll join me next time.